0: This is not just about, let's just go back to the same playbook and deliver it the same way. We need a broader ecosystem of large companies, SMEs, procurement entities themselves, the community colleges to help upgrade the skills of workers. We need to think differently. Procurement and supplier diversity has mostly been thought about in almost these silos and stove Agreed. Agreed. Let's break it open.
1: Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity, with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here today again with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and in today's episode, we're joined by Bruce Katz, director of the NOAC Metro Finance Lab at Drexel University. The NOAC Lab works at the intersection of public policy and private investment and business civic leadership to drive inclusive metro economics and build community wealth through new instruments, intermediaries, and institutions. Katz is also the co-founder of the New Localism Advisors and founder of the New Localism Associates that helps site, design, finance, and deliver transformative initiatives that promote inclusive and sustainable growth. Cass regularly advises cross-sector urban, metropolitan, national and global leaders on public reforms and private innovations that advance the well-being of metropolitan areas and their countries. Welcome to the show, Bruce. It's so good to have you on today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yes, Bruce, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about what some of these
2: institutions and, and different uh, things that you have set up there at drexel and that type of thing that we just walked through in your intro give us a little overview of what all of that means for our listeners so they can understand exactly what it is that you you do
0: so i've been working with uh, cities in the united states and abroad for all my professional life, hmm. um, and this is one of the most disruptive periods we've ever exper- experienced. Some of that is obviously the pandemic and the impact that the pandemic had on the spatial geography of work, remote work, work from home, hmm. the effect that that has on small businesses and enterprises. But some of it is the, you know, destructive effect that the pandemic had on small enterprises, particularly Black and Latino-owned enterprises. That we're mm-hmm. not able to access, uh, you know, the PPP, the various federal rescue products. So, you know, at Drexel and in my other work, what we're trying to do is help city leaders, capital providers, community institutions navigate through a very disruptive period. I mean, the media loves to call this the new normal. There is new, new normal. I mean, there is a a new disorder here. Love Um, it. And it's going to take a while for all this to settle. And then you can throw on top the war in Ukraine and Mm -hmm. what that's done with energy prices, Mm -hmm. um, you know, technological innovations that continue to pace, a fire hose of government money. So I think Mm -hmm. this could be a time, you know, generally... Don't waste a crisis. Crisis begets innovation. This Mm -hmm. could be a time where we begin to innovate on financial products and funds in such a way that we're able to really grow black and Latino enterprises at scale. Mm -hmm. But that's going to require a level of purposefulness and deliberation at the local level, because frankly, that's where everything gets done. Federal investments are great. Private investments are wonderful. But at the end of the day, someone's going to deliver all this stuff, and that tends to be these local networks of capital so providers, entrepreneurial support
2: groups, chambers, and the enterprises themselves. That's fantastic. And that's interesting that you said, let's not waste a crisis because crisis begets innovation. You go back and you study history. I remember a fact that came out like during the civil war, that was the greatest advancement in surgical medicine seen by mankind in hundred years it was it was an amazing figure that they spouted out but it makes you stop and think it's like when we're pushed up against the wall we become very creative and we find ways around that so what are some of the when you say that kind of help us understand a little bit of what you guys are looking at to to help us move forward and advance these very important topics well it really cuts across um
0: you know multiple dimensions here so one thing to start is the federal government is making enormous investments in infrastructure, mm-hmm. transportation, energy, water, digital, sometimes in response to the climate crisis, sometimes just to catch up with deferred investments. Mm-hmm. The federal government itself is the largest buyer of goods and services in the world. That's true. Um yeah. and now they're sending hundreds of billions of dollars through state and local governments, public authorities, universities, et cetera. We've gotta think about the procurement economy, you know, the purchase of goods and services from governments, as well as large corporations, universities and hospitals, as a way to build um, local enterprises that serve their market, or particularly black and Latino enterprises, because those are the rising demographics of the United States but they do not participate um, in these uh, procurement efforts as much as they should. You know, supplier diversity has been around since Richard Nixon.
2: Right, right, Right. Um, right.
0: You know, always good to bring Richard Nixon up in a ball. <laughs> um,
1: but, uh, so, but that is but one of the one primary yeah. good things that he did during his presidency. Oh, no, absolutely, it, exactly. absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. He doesn't get credit but, enough for that. No. But we
0: he haven't doesn't. really seen the kind of impact on the numbers, on the metrics of Black and Latino mm-hmm. firms, or the scale of those firms. And one last thing the economy. Is is changing now because I think what's happening with the climate crisis? I just returned from Europe for two weeks, um, for mm-hmm. a series of sessions in Germany and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a whole new set of industries here. Oh yeah, um, uh, enormous innovation as we sort of grapple with the climate crisis. Right. So we need to think about these firms and their ability to tap that market, in addition to design, finance, and deliver traditional infrastructure. So wow. this is a remarkable period yeah. um and and the context the starting points of large amounts of government funding yeah, disruptive right. dynamics from the yeah. pandemic and yeah. climate really is the the platform for how do you think about moving forward?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when we talk more about supplier diversity, I'm glad you brought it up, Bruce. You know, a lot of times when we're talking to some of these corporations and federal contractors, you know, the, the reason that they say that they're not contracting with more minority owned businesses is because they can't find them. And they can't find them because of some of these financing issues and challenging right. and access to capital that, that you mentioned. And You know, I I would like for corporations to take more of a leadership role and and get into the driver's seat around some of these creative financing options. And I'd like to just hear a little bit more about the role the finance lab is playing in some of these initiatives or some of these conversations and really sort of moving the needle and really kind of calling these companies, you know, hey, look, this is, you guys say that you have these programs. What are you doing to really help the growth of
0: these of these minority-owned yeah. businesses? So this is a pretty complicated system. Uh, yeah. It's really more focused, to tell you the truth, on compliance, box checking, yes. legalistic requirements mm-hmm. than on market making. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the first thing we have to think about is what's your mindset about procurement? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a procurement officer at a local government or a county government or a state government or listen to this list, a port authority, an airport authority, a transportation yeah. authority, an electric uh, yeah. utility, a water utility. This system mm-hmm. is as fragmented as it gets
2: mm-hmm. because
0: government is not one government. It's right? all these different general purpose governments and public authorities and agencies. So think about, you know, when our kids apply to college, you have one common app, right? Right. You have yes. a, yeah. yeah. You know, you just think, you know, you don't have to say, okay, what does this school want? What does that school want? How do I, you know, sort of get myself into a pretzel to conform to this particular requirement? (laughs) I, I think we need a burst of technological innovation in the in the public sector, so that we do not put the burden on enterprises and entrepreneurs, because they are there, mm. um, yes. to try to conform to all these different vendor requirements that different agencies basically concoct. Mm-hmm. So this should be solved by technology in many respects. Mm-hmm. It's almost... Like you have as a marketplace of government buyers on one hand and thousands and tens of thousands of businesses on the other hand, let's make a market where they can meet. So we've got to go from really a 1960s system, huh. which is yeah. right, unbelievably complicated. I mean, right. trust right. me, you do want, want to deal with this. <laughs> um, yes, to, yes, a, yes. To, a, to a system which is really fit to purpose yeah. and fit to the needs of these enterprises that really need, you know, have the potential to scale. So that's the first mm-hmm. thing. The second thing is I do think, and, you know, this this question about the existing um, sort of primes or other contractors, mm-hmm. we need to figure out a way to team up some of the existing large companies with some of these burgeoning, growing, small enterprises. The Department of Defense does this um, in their efforts. I think we need to, you know, make sort of mentoring joint ventures, teaming up the norm in our system. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think there's some great examples that we can move from, you know. Yeah.
2: Un- I love that idea, Bruce. And that's something that I talk about all the time uh, when I'm talking to supplier diversity, either on the minority owned business side or the more traditional owned business side. But you know, the pushback sometimes that we get from the larger companies is like, why do I want to create competition in my space, right? All of a sudden there seems to be this idea that I'm so big, but I'm scared about Having, you know, creating potentially another competitor inside my space is going to take away from my market share, blah, blah, blah. I've heard the excuses for years now. What are some of the things or, or are you guys trying, how are you helping soothe that fear, if you will? Because I love that idea of, hey, big corporation, you need to kind of reach back, help bring up this small MBE, get them going. You know, we can talk about how it closes generational wealth gaps and all the, the social good that we do. Sometimes they only hear dollars and uh, cents. So what are some of the conversations you guys have when when having those those talks? I'd be very interested in that.
0: Yeah. And by the way, we should come back to the capital conversation because Absolutely. you know, I'm I'm initially focused on getting the contract. <laughs> right. right. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, that, my problem and, is I get and, too tactical
2: on this. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, so
0: there <laughs> tends to be, particularly in the United States, enormous focus on capital, but contracts help. And that actually could be a path to capital. I think there are multiple um, sort of arguments for why a large contractor uh, would want to participate with some of these rising SMEs. Yeah. a this is a very innovative space I mean uh, you know we are this is not your parents infrastructure right um oh, the, my you God. know we're dealing with a whole next generation of industries mm-hmm. we need more players in the field um, who are coming from disparate experiences different communities mm-hmm. that are um, will be a majority in this country in a relatively short period of time um right. and bring their thoughts and experiences and expertise second workforce we have labor shortages
2: Oh man! Um, about really,
0: throughout our economy, and some of those because of burnout and the pandemic, the healthcare profession in particular. Yeah. But some of that is because the skills needed to design and deliver a portion of what we're describing are much different than in the past. There's really the internet of things, a level of technological sophistication. So this is not just about, let's just go back to the same playbook and deliver it the same way. We need a broader ecosystem of large companies, SMEs, procurement entities themselves, the community colleges, to help upgrade the skills of workers. We need to think differently Procurement and supplier diversity has mostly been thought about in almost these silos and stovepipes. Let's break it yeah. open um, because I think everyone wins, to tell you the truth, when we when we sort of bring more folks along for the ride. Um, but 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 we also create even more business demand. The primes are going to do fine. I mean, they're oh, going to yeah. do fine. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Because of the sophistication of the work, but this enables them potentially to move into other uh, avenues and sectors.
1: Yeah. Well, if we, if we get back to just the financing, you know, yeah. access yes. to capital focus, you know, we talk a lot about that and we the do. importance of being able mm-hmm. to access capital just on our show. You know, tell us about supply chain finance. We, I know that you co-host a, a webinar on the topic. You know, why is it so different from other traditional financing vehicles?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, supply chain finance, to tell you the truth, has been around since the Phoenicians. So yes,
1: <laughs> definitely. If you bit. get to
0: mention Richard Nixon and the Phoenicians on one show, that's, that's like, a great day. That's <laughs> a great day. <laughs> it's not great it yeah. we start a our morning. Factor. <laughs> not a trifecta, but it's getting there. Um, I think the difference about supply chain finance is that. You're you're using contracts, yes, as opposed to collateral. Right. So a lot of the you know lending products we have in the U.S. the traditional debt products really ask the entrepreneur you know use your house for collateral, right? Or right. you're lucky enough to have friends and family networks. But we're yeah. dealing with sort of rising entrepreneurs from communities that may not have that yeah. level of collateral or those networks. So contracts um are gold right and and they really provide um you know another source of credibility and legitimacy um for um you know lending whether it's around the bonding that is required particularly in the construction space or working capital yeah. so for many of these firms if you're going to get a large contract you know you've got to scale up your workforce you got to right. buy certain you know kinds of uh equipment or, or goods, I mean, you've got to get, get ready and then you've got to perform and hopefully you'll get paid, <laughs> you know, yeah. in a, in a reasonable, reasonable period of time. Right up yes. in terms. I mean, yeah. 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 so much of what I deal with, to tell you the truth, is to, to basically get over this, I don't know if it's a valley of death, but it's a valley of pain, you know, where um, we still have public entities that are paying by check uh, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and they're delaying the payments. Right. Um, and if you're a sub and not a prime, oh, you know, those delays could be quite substantial. So supply chain finance deals with a lot of these different risk factors and reality factors. But the but the principal element here is to use that certainty of a contract, you know, contract-based financing as opposed to collateral-driven financing. Right, um, yeah what's interesting is that you know this is not like a regular market in some respects in the united states i mean i um it should be um and and whether the capital Uh, provider is a traditional uh, bank or a fintech lender or you know a prime contractor itself i mean there are multiple ways to crack this code so what we're trying to shine a light on is a the general framework of this lot of government money yeah. But um, we're going to need some substantial reforms, you know, to boost uh, these firms. And then on the capital side, um, there's a program coming out of the American Rescue Plan called the State Small Business Credit Initiative.
1: Oh. This is,
0: you know, of all the money flowing right now, trillions of dollars. This is not getting an enormous amount of attention, but it's $10 billion wow. flowing directly through states. To basically innovate in a way that helps grow small businesses when this was used 10 years ago under president obama there were several states like new york state that Mm -hmm. used the financing to provide a backstop for um government procurement you know a Mm. guarantee of sorts and that Mm -hmm. enabled new york state to have a dramatic increase uh in government contracts going to black and Latino firms in particular but also veterans women-owned firms etc and we think that this particular government program federal program could be um you know building off that New York state model could be um good foundation for innovative finance going forward so we don't need to reinvent the wheel Uh, we need to think about who's done this even in the private space or in the public space and then how to capture, codify, routinize, make it the norm, and blow it through the country. Um, mm-hmm. That's So that's a lot of what we're focusing on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's receptive, by the way. There's not a lot of yeah. pushback on this. That's it's, what I was going to ask
1: you is yeah. how receptive are some of these states and, and these legislators and federal agencies, how receptive are they to, yeah. to this sort of change in sort of yeah, this it's mindset
0: usually shift? The le- yeah, usually the legislatures are not really involved. I, I think it's usually these executive branch agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a department of community and economic development in one state. It might be an mm-hmm. infrastructure bank in another state. The great thing about the US, the challenging thing is we are really 50 states when it comes to this. Yes. So it's yeah. not like, yeah. you know, in the transportation space, you've got 50 departments of transportation. Once you enter into this small business finance place, every state's a little bit different, right? Um, for reasons that are just not even worth talking about. Um, but but the bottom line, you know, um, these states want to have impact with this funding, and $10 billion of federal funding can lever up 10 times 10x. So you're talking about $100 billion here. It's not a small chunk of change, right? Um, I think, the conversation is mostly technocratic as opposed to political. It's show us the term sheets. Yes. You know, let's work through the product structure or the fund structure. Show us successes. Who are the stakeholders? Do you need mentoring or entrepreneurial support from a chamber? So it's it's a fairly technocratic conversation right now, yeah. which is good. I mean, I um, but I, I do think the next two or three years um we could see a flourishing of these supply chain finance products um and yes. a the work will get done right that's good infrastructure will get built new industries will get created right. and b there'll be a much broader mix of firms doing this in the united right. states right that's good right that's very good that's good for uh, the economy as a whole
1: you know you've talked a, a lot about just the different initiatives that you're involved in you know when we think about just some of the specific policies and reforms and outcomes you're excited about can you talk a little bit more about what the lab is developing
0: yeah well i think the lab you know this is based on um my former friend and business partner, Jeremy Nowak, who who created the Reinvestment Fund, it was one of the initial community development finance institutions in the United States. And there are, there are now hundreds and hundreds of these institutions. He was one of the originators. I think Jeremy's perspective on the world is that the way innovation moves in the U.S., and particularly the way we grow business, is through routines. You know, think about the 30-year mortgage, right? Right. Right. Um, which was invented in the 1930s to respond to the Great Depression, another phenomenal crisis like the ones we are experiencing today. Yes. So in a country as large as ours, with so many varying you know, places and economic bases, Routines really matter, you know, in terms of the structure of financial products or the structure of financial funds. And routines can be really boring. I mean, it's like totally weedy, right, to do the <laughs> seasoned right. analysis. Yeah. So that you can tell investors, um, whether it's the public sector or the private sector, philanthropic sector, here are the kind of returns that you can um, expect, and here's the capital stack of debt and equity and concessionary capital. So this stuff can be quite boring at times, I suppose. But at the end of the day, this is how you unlock the market and unleash substantial amounts of capital and, and really connect between contracting on one side and financial investment on the other. So that's the goal of the NOAC Metro Finance Lab is, you know, whether it's required, you know, with regard to small business enterprises or even commercial corridors or downtowns, or waterfronts, at the end of the day, everything mm-hmm. gets back to capital. If, if you don't have capital, you just have an idea, you know? I mean, you know, yeah. which is interesting, Sounds but you have an opinion. If you have capital, and capital flows where it knows, as my friend Della Clark, the head of the Enterprise Center in Philadelphia, always says, capital flows where it knows. If, if it's not clear, specific, routine, you're not going to see the capital move. So we don't have a capital problem in the US. We have an organizing problem. We have tons of capital. We have tons of capital. We're a washing capital. We're the land of capital. You know, but how it
1: flows,
0: you know, to enterprises and communities is the real question.
1: Just to piggyback on that, when you say that, you know, we've got a large amount of capital, you know, you're an expert in in cross-sector collaboration, because I think that that's really at the root of the problem is that we just don't effectively know how to collaborate across industries, across private and public sector, across various entities. And I don't know why that tends to be such a struggle, but what can public sector leaders really do to really advance this collaborative effort to move the needle around this?
0: This is a great question, and it really gets to the heart of the difference between cities metropolitan areas, and federal and state governments. Federal and state governments are government, right? Right. Um, We love them, right? They make investments, but they're very siloed. Uh, You know, transportation agency, education agency, housing agency, the list goes on and on. And a lot of those agencies were created 50 or 75 years ago after the Second World War. Cities are networks. Cities are ecosystems. So... Public, private, and civic and community just come together in an interdisciplinary way. And when it comes to enterprises, what really matters, I'll take Della Clark as an example. When we had the Paycheck Protection Program, Mm -hmm. the challenge was for many small firms, Black and Latino firms, they didn't have conventional banking relationships. Right. So they needed help um, from intermediaries like the Enterprise Center or these community development finance institutions. Right. navigate through this confusing world of this new product so in philadelphia what they did is they called ppp prep you know and they basically worked with all these different enterprises very small held their hand made sure they had the right information right documentation and then got them the capital and pennsylvania and philadelphia did quite well with ppp because we didn't treat it we didn't assume that everyone just had a friendly banker who was going to get on the phone with you and say hey by the right. way you know right. have you applied for this loan i mean what loan what are you talking about you know um yeah. so we we created that sort of system of relationships it's like a it's like a relational economy a networked economy and yeah. that in the end, is what we need to grow these firms. Um, so, whether it's the Paycheck Protection Program and this ecosystem of chambers and entrepreneurial support organizations, special capital providers, or a prime contractor on a major investment teaming up with a smaller firm and providing the mentoring, that experience that they have, so you can bring more folks along. In the end, it's a network that matters. Yeah. And it's um, and I think those, those cities that are able to create that intricate sort of web of relationships are gonna be quite successful.
2: And see, this is an amazing way to have a conversation about access to capital, right? And for any of us who have been supplier diversity practitioners for a while, this always seems to be one of the ubiquitous topics that you're gonna talk about in a panel or any sort of outreach activity, right? It's always access to capital. And the answers always seem to come back to, have a good relationship with your bank, right? Go back and look for federal funding. But this is a very different way to attack that. And for you to have the statement of we're awash in capital, almost is contraindicated on some of the other conversations, because it almost seems like there's a restriction on capital when you talk to MBEs and WBEs, right? They were like, we just can't find it, right? And you're like, no, we got plenty of it. We just have to coordinate it better. That's Amazing. So, how are some of the ways that we should start changing that conversation? I love what you're saying about how it's it's networking, but for like, you know, practitioners and and small businesses, how do we how do we start changing the conversation to help fix this? Well, I think the I think we
0: we need to understand that there is this procurement economy. It's very very large. I mean, it's yeah, it's the trillions. You know. And we need to basically orient this portion of our economy in the service of the entrepreneur and the enterprise. This is not about your public agency or your large corporation or large university or large hospital. This is not about yourself. You know, this is about those enterprises and entrepreneurs who, who can deliver a quality product, a quality good, a quality service, um, but they need a system
1: that is geared
0: to where they are. And the system right now is unbelievably fragmented. I mean, you know, it's a Rubik's cube, right? Yeah. So you're talking to small firms and saying to them, "Hey, by the way, you know, in those that other hour you have in your day, go figure this out." (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all that free time you own. Right. All that free time you have. Yeah. um, Yeah. Go figure out how to apply through the port authority and then turn around and apply through the airport authority and then turn around and apply it through some other, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. No, no. one <clears throat> system technology has advanced to a point just as a starting point where right. we could figure out how to do this. And, and then far. we need to put in place this sort of web of, you know, mentoring and navigation. Um, right. so, you know, which which other firms naturally have because of friends and family or, you know, experience, et cetera. So we've got to basically replace that and, and, and create mm-hmm. a different kind of system. But look, I think this is completely doable. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. just me. a different way of thinking about this. Yes. And right now we're in this legalistic sort of, you know, mindset of, okay, check the box, comply with the rules. No, no, no. We are building firms. That's right. what right. we're doing here. Right. So, right. Totally different perspective right. on the world. It affects technology. It affects information. It affects reporting. And it affects capital. So I think this is, you know, I, we're doing this in San Antonio with the Aspen Institute Latinos and in Society Program. We've We've done the diagnostic, all these different public entities. Here's what they spend and here's their diverse yeah. spend. But more importantly, here's how you create a new path forward that yeah. works for the enterprise, works for the entrepreneur, works for the city. Yeah, but, um, so it's it's put, put the entrepreneur first. That's basically
1: companies. it. I love that. I love that. And so, you know, just thinking about what you're talking about, what's what you guys are doing and the work you're doing in San Antonio, talk to us just a little bit. What is New Local?
0: New Local uh, is, a, is a book I co-wrote with Jeremy yes. Nowak in okay. 2018. Okay. And it just basically made the point that in the 21st century problem solving will be done by networks just given how wicked challenges are if you want to solve our traffic congestion don't think you're going to solve it by widening a road you might want to build housing <laughs> close to transit or something else right, right. i mean yes, so right. yes it's yes. trying to basically sort of you want to solve climate do not try to solve it through a department of climate that doesn't even exist so right, right, think about right you know, these wicked challenges and problem solving happening through networks of public, private, and civic institutions and and entities. And that's what cities are. So it's cities are sort of naturally built to problem solve 21st century challenges. We're still in an old federal system federal governments, state governments. Frankly, I think cities are in charge of the world. You just flip the pyramid. If you really want to talk where the problem solvers are and the power is, Mm -hmm. it's local, it's not federal or state. They should be in the service of helping cities and metropolitan areas, you know, solve these problems just as procurement entities should be in the service of entrepreneurs and enterprise. Flip the pyramid.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you know, love who, who, I love that love who are we
0: really trying to help here um yeah. oh wow but we're in a we're, we're in sort of a transition from you know centuries don't end like on january 1st of the new century it takes usually <laughs> a couple <of> decades <laughs> just, <laughs> you know. so true so true unfortunate
1: so, how slow it is sometimes it, yeah it is slow
0: and and again you know new normal there is no no normal I mean no. uh, I mean, I was just in Germany for you know for the G7 meeting of urban ministers. right they are struggling with the energy prices, the yeah. low supply of energy, what that affects their manufacturing, energy prices. Yeah. they're just worried to get through the winter. Um, mm. so you know we're in a very complicated. Right now, and but some things I think are just fundamental and true um, in terms of how you know problems get solved, how businesses start and grow. You know, we need to get back to those fundamentals and organize our systems in the service of that. And um, I think again, I think it's totally doable um, because market products do tend to and that is the way in which you can just find a new kind of model to repeat and repeat and repeat you know wow yeah
1: yeah so you talked a little bit about the pyramid and flipping it you know mm. upside down and the cities yes. are the ones that really have the power right for our local small diverse businesses minority owned businesses particularly the black and Latino ones in cities across the us, what advice would you give to them in terms of just holding their cities accountable? What are ways that they can get involved and try to, I mean, because like you said, there's there's funding that these cities have. There's there's all these new bills that are coming out, funding that's still continuously flowing to these cities. What are some suggested ways of of accountability that, that some of these small and local businesses can hold their cities?
0: Well, I think the most important thing is probably to find... You know, an intermediary it could be mm-hmm. yeah, a community yeah. development finance institution. It could be mm-hmm. a, um, a different kind of entity, a chamber. You know, it could be an African American chamber, Hispanic chamber. I mean, those entities are probably more likely to hold the city accountable. What What you want to do as a small enterprise and entrepreneur is get into the flow. You know, get into the flow. Yes. Get, get into that mix of entities, like that PPP example I gave you with the Enterprise Center in Philly. Who's going to help you navigate this? Because anytime you're getting federal money, you know, the reporting, the compliance system ain't easy. Right. I mean, um, we got laws that just keep accreting over time. So you do need someone, some entity to work with you, um, hold your hand get it done. And I think that's really the moment right now. Procurement, supplier diversity has been something that has been narrowed down to these public agencies and maybe some of the large Eds, meds, and corps. We need to sort of Grow this out, blow it out to this bigger ecosystem of chambers and entrepreneurial support groups and capital providers and the firms themselves so that we can market make here. So I do think that for the enterprise itself, you want to find that path and that path could be given your city, it could be a community development institution or it could be your chamber. And if they're not doing it, then they need to be doing it is the bottom line. So yeah. in some ways for the enterprise, the folks yeah. to hold accountable are those yeah. intermediaries. And those intermediaries then work closely with the public sector and others to get this yeah. you know, broader, expansive vision of what supplier diversity should be about. Right.
1: So if we wow. talk again in, in a year from now
0: yeah. or two and we years will. <laughs> from
1: now. Absolutely, Bruce. We love the work that you're doing. Yeah. And, will help and support any initiatives that you guys have going on to further this, further all of the different programs and reforms that you're working on. But again, if we if we talk two years from now, one year from now, what would need to have happened for you to say that we've made some progress in yeah. some of these areas around supplier diversity and, and just access to capital in general?
0: Well I think, you know, and this is where we can, it gets boring pretty fast, I do think we, okay. <laughs> You know, this uh, we need some process innovations, right? right? I mean, it goes back to this. There should be a common app in every city, metropolitan area, region, state. There should be an easier way to access large government spending than there is today. Um, I mean, so there could be a technology fix here. I mean, you know, we're in a world of big data, you know, we're in a world of um you know, just remarkable technological innovation. This can't be that complicated, you know? Right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like right. so if any technologist is on listening to this, hey, here's a market. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just handed it to you. Go. Yes, you know? yes,
1: yes, so
0: yes, We can't have a system where every enterprise has to figure out by themselves without any help how to navigate yeah. across city government, county government, all these authorities. I mean, this is insane. It's so, insane. It's insane. So, yep. I, you know... So we need, I mean, everyone talks about public-private partnerships. Hey, a good day would be public-public partnerships, right? (laughs) Right,
1: right, 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 right. Just start working together. Yes, yes. exactly.
0: So that's what we're going to try to do in San Antonio. I mean, you know, and, and I think there are some early moves that would create you know make this happen so process innovation really does matter then we need product innovation you know these supply chain finance products and how they're structured um maybe with this federal state small business credit initiative which might be a backstop loan guarantee etc just a routinized way if you've got a federal contract state contracts whatever uh here's your access to working capital bonding capital et cetera, et cetera. Hey, any capital provider who's listening to this, here's a market, you know? Right. I mean, yes, you know, yes, um, yes. financial institutions tend to be pretty lazy most of the time. So oh, here's yeah. a way to I it. came from that side. So yeah, they are. <laughs> you know, and then the real issue I think is what's the outcomes we want. So we've got to have some starting point measurement, both in general, around, um, you know, business ownership, you know, size of firm, revenue base, you know, what, what's the starting point of the black? Black and Latino business community, we, we built a small business equity toolkit with Accelerator for America and with MasterCard, a center for inclusive growth. Every city in Metro can understand their starting point on diverse entrepreneurship. It ain't great, let me tell you, you know, we got a long way to go here, but at least understand what your, your, your starting point is and then benchmark against that. But the bottom line is we do not want to make incremental change here, little iterative steps. We need to make transformational steps. And that means the large corps are going to really, I think, going to need to have these um, relationships, as they do in the auto sector, as they do in other private parts of our economy. They need to do that in the public side of our economy as well.
1: So Absolutely. there are
0: examples of this, but I think we've got to put it on steroids.
1: We definitely do. We definitely do. Well, as I said, Bruce, thank you so much for your insights today, and if there's anything that we can collectively do to support your efforts and help you with moving the needle around the work that you're doing in the local cities and, you know, at the federal side and abroad, please do let us know. Thank you so much
0: for coming Thank on you. the show. Oh, it's wonderful to talk to you.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Warren, Bruce Katz. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness. In the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H I R E ground.io. Thank you for being here, and we look forward to seeing you next week.